Welcome to the Learning Can't Wait podcast, a Full Mind production. At Full Mind, our vision is to ensure every child has access to an exceptional education. Each episode, we will be joined by pathfinders within and around the education space who are bringing about transformational change on behalf of deserving students. I am your host, Haley Spearbauer. Welcome back, everybody. It is a new season of the Learning Can't Wait podcast, and I am kicking it off this year with an incredible guest, Dr. Scott Murray from Ector County ISD in Texas. Dr. Murray, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here on this very hot day in West Texas. Well, we're recording. I was just going to say we're recording in the middle of summer. But this episode will be released at the top, uh, a little bit later in summer, which will be season four of the Learning Can't Wait podcast. And like I said, I'm pretty amped to have you on today, both because of your experience and your leadership, but also because of the incredible and profound work you and your team are doing in Ector County ISD. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's an honor to be here. And to use that word, you just said it's the team. Uh, We have a great team of people focused on kids and we've done a lot of really fun work. And so I'm happy to happy to share and also learn at the same time. So thank you for having me. Of course. And I know we'll get into this later, but it is absolutely the sign of a true leader who notices that the work they're doing and the impact they're making are as a result of all the people collectively. And so excited to talk about leadership in a little bit. But before we get there, I'm going to start us off with our typical first question helps to really get philosophical at the start of the podcast, which is, how did you come to be the personal and professional version of yourself? So I'll go back to to people. You know, I I am um, a product of the people that invested in me. And so on the personal side, you know, it starts with two great parents uh, and I had them. And and so uh, you really value um, the opportunities that they gave, the, the support that they continue to provide um, even today. Uh, my father was uh, a minister. And so every Sunday morning, I was able to be the recipient of, of his wisdom. Um, and then also throughout the week. And, and so, um, and then my mother worked in the medical field. And so both of them uh, just poured into me and, and helped me become the human being that I am today. And then others along the way that just mentored me and, and set great examples for uh, what a quality, you know, person should be. And so I, you know, th- that the personal side is shaped and I'm a person of faith too. So again, growing up in the church, but also my faith remains an important part of who I am. And so that, that really captures the, the personal side, the professional side, again, investment in people, um, I became a teacher uh, because of a college experience. I, I was a pre-med student at Wake Forest University uh, and knew that I wanted to be a pediatric surgeon. That was my, I talked about that for, you know, five years leading up to college. Um, but then I had an experience with a, an amazing middle school teacher um, that I was observing during my freshman year in college. And I had never seen a teacher like that before, uh, just the, the type of environment that she created. Um, and then, you know, I, I said, I want to be her. I, that's what I want to do is to create a learning environment for kids and just to watch the reaction of those students when she uh, created magic was exciting. And so I, that began my education journey. And just, you know, even until today, a lot of individuals 
um, at, at every level of organizations across the country have just spent time with me and, and, and invested in me and, and really helped shape uh, the profession, the, the person that I am today. So, but it's people, it's about the team. It's about the people that you surround yourself with. And, um, and so I, I enjoy doing that for folks as well, sharing and, and, and giving them, you know, wisdom and nuggets um, to help them along their journey. So one of my favorite phrases is we do this work together. And, um, and we do in public education, we, we do this work together. So. Wow. Okay. So that little anecdote you told just gave me chills about how you had never thought you were going to be a teacher. You had this career path that you had to find for yourself mm -hmm. and watch this teacher. Can we talk a little bit about what made that room so fantastic? You know, in last season, one of our last episodes was with Dr. Baron Davis, former superintendent of Richland too. And he spoke about the belief system he looked for when hiring teachers. Was it the teacher that you observed? Was it their belief system that was evident in their practice? Was it their skill set? Was it a combination of both? How did you, what, what really made that impression on you? That's so it was, it was, a, again, I was in college. So I was still a, a, from a student mindset. I was still in the learning modality um, of being a kid. You know, I, again, I felt like I was right out of high school, which I was. Um, and so really watching the students, again, this is a middle school environment. So watching the students and their faces and how they uh, responded to the, the learning environment that was created, it was highly engaging and interactive. Uh, the level of questioning was very rigorous. Uh, the excitement on the faces of the kids was excitement that I wanted to experience too. And, you know, kind of thinking back to my own um, K-12 journey, you know, though that teacher was making a profound impact upon those students and she was making an impact upon me as well. So uh, rigorous environment, highly engaging. Uh, the students wanted to be in, in, in the room uh, with this teacher. She knew those students uh, by name. She knew their needs um, she cared about each of them. She believed that each of those students could learn regardless of the obstacles they might have faced or had in their own life. She knew uh, that they had the ability to learn and set high expectations. And so she really encompassed what um, a highly effective teacher um, is, you know, kind of should know and be able to do the things that they should know and be able to do. And she put it into practice. And, and so that was inspirational to me. And I wanted to be that. And, and so as I began to kind of shape myself as an educator, um, it was learning from people like that, learning from the masters, the people that truly were highly effective, um, because I, I saw the, the power that she had to create an incredible learning uh, environment for those kids. And I knew it was going to last them for a lifetime. Um, and so if I'm going to invest in something, I want to make sure it, it lasts, you know, uh, for a lifetime. Talk about the indelible effect that a high quality teacher has on students. And, and so um, that indelible effect is something that, that I also wanted to do uh, for, for the kids that I served. The indelible effect. Is that a coined phrase right there? Because I think you just came up with our episode title here. <laughs> yeah, there you go. The indelible effect. Yeah. I, you know, I love that. And I appreciate you giving some more detail on what it was that made such a impact on you when you were sitting in that classroom. So let's talk about now building not just classrooms that have mm -hmm. that indelible effect, but communities and schools and districts. You started us off here today with talking and really honing in on that word team. Sure. What does it mean to you? How do you build it? Let's just let's just make that make that the theme right now. 
Yeah, and so I, so I think it starts with a strong why. Um, we talk about that, you know, t- today and with my own team. What is our why? In fact, uh, yesterday I was with a team of people, and we were planning um, our summer leadership development experience for all of the leaders uh, in, in 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 my current district, and and so it it, it revolved around the the why, uh, which is obviously the the children. Our why is the the students that we serve. Um, and so, you know, as I think about developing a team, it is ensuring that everyone has a really strong why and that their why is students. It, it isn't uh, income. Uh, it isn't uh, to, uh, you know, to buy something. It isn't to uh, move their career to the highest level. It, the why is to serve children. Um, and so when you hire people like that um, and surround, you know, build a team with that mindset, um, even though they may have different beliefs on, on how we serve, um, it is that central focus on the why that, that makes a difference. And so that's, you know, whether I was a principal hiring teachers or a superintendent hiring cabinet members, um, th- that premise is the same. I want people who believe in kids, uh, who, who believe, you know, fundamentally that all children can learn. Um, at a rate and pace of speed that is appropriate for them, uh, people that ask really hard questions, folks that aren't afraid to challenge the status quo, uh, people that that are big and bold and brave in their decision making, uh, folks that are not afraid to, to push back on me and say, hey, you know, the idea that you just shared, yeah, that may not be a good idea, or let's think differently about that. So, you know, I, I appreciate that as well. Um, I think as a leader, when putting together a team, you also have to know yourself. Uh, what are my strengths as a leader? What are my challenges as a leader? And then who can I have on the team that can help compensate for the blind spots that I may not know I even have, but uh, who are folks that that will uh, be honest um, and also, again, fill the voids for the gaps that I am well aware of. These are things I don't do well, and so I need people to uh, to fill that that particular void. So it's a lot of fun to put together a team. I'm, I am just, my head is nodding. I know not the listeners can't hear that, but my head is nodding as you talk about having people that will challenge you and challenge the status quo. Being in a room of yes people is not beneficial for anyone, not the leader, not the people that are saying yes, not the people at the end user, meaning the students in this case. I love that something you look for is a personality where they feel confident to challenge your ideas. County is really well known for challenging the status quo. When you think about that phrase, what are some ideas or what are some implementations that come to mind that have really, for you, been an example of challenging the status quo? Uh, so so I, I, I think I, I go right to a belief in children. Uh, you know, there sometimes there are there's a belief that children of poverty don't have the ability to learn at high levels because they don't have uh, the support of the home or they don't have the re- access to resources, et cetera. Um, and so I I love challenging that uh, kind of status quo element. Um, you know, folks that uh, purposely, and, and unfortunately, sometimes this is in education, I purposely want to teach at a high poverty school so that people will, the parents will leave me alone or people will leave me alone. Or I, I purposefully want to, to lead a high poverty school so that people don't pay attention to my flaws. Um, and I, I enjoy exiting those people from the organization because the folks that I want to serve in a high poverty environment are those that, that believe in 
uh, each individual child and believe that they can truly be excellent. Uh, they can be the president of the United States, the next astronaut in space, the, the next scientist or the person that cures cancer. Yeah, they're sitting in our classrooms today and many of those kids will be our students of poverty, um, our black and brown students that sometimes, uh, again, are, are, are isolated or are relegated um, to lower levels in our society. You know, we as an educational institution and as leaders and teachers have an opportunity to ensure that everybody has a level playing field and and the 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 ability to be just as successful as he or she as that student may uh, may desire to be. And so that's, you know, that the equity lens is strong, just ensuring that uh, that opportunity exists for uh, for everyone. You have to go in intentionally though, too, right? Like this isn't, I love how you're naming that you're like, we will exit those individuals and building the systems require an intentionality when you're working in high poverty environments, because it isn't just status quo. You cannot just operate a school in a high poverty environment the way you would operate a school in a very wealthy environment. There are very different conditions you have to attend to, and you have to overcome a lot of the belief systems that society has around you. Yeah, I, I know. I agree with intentionality. Use that phrase a lot. You know, I, the the success that we have in a certain area didn't happen accidentally. We didn't just luck into this. It happened with intentionality. But but also the opposite happens as well. You know, I a story that I tell with teachers sometimes is the kid that sat in your classroom today that failed the test did so intentionally. Uh, they intentionally didn't engage. They intentionally didn't do their homework. They intentionally didn't pay attention. They intentionally, but there was purpose behind their failure. They didn't accidentally wake up and not pay attention. Oh my gosh, I forgot to pay attention. No, they they intentionally did that. Just like the kid that aced the test, you know, did very specific things intentionally to ensure that they uh, that they did that. So an organization. Um, does things with intentionality. And sometimes you can, again, maintain the status quo, but you you designed your organization to do that. So I'm going to be full of quotes today, but one, the, the one I probably use most often uh, comes from Edwards Deming. Um, and, and Deming talks about um, your organization. He said, an organization is perfectly designed to achieve the results that it is achieving. And so if an organization is maintaining the status quo, you were designed to do that. Well, the organization that I serve today um, is not designed to maintain the status quo. Uh, We were uh, among the lowest performing districts in the state of Texas in the year 2019. So there are 1,200 school districts in Texas, and we were right there at number 1,200. Uh, Today, we are not (laughs) anywhere close to that mark. We have increased significantly. In fact, according to the state of Texas, uh, Ector County ISD is rated a B um, for the first time ever. This district has um, a, a wonderful rating, and that is because of intentionality. We intentionally have put processes and systems and pieces in place to ensure that we would be successful. So yes, great intentionality um, is is really involved in any decision that you make, and sometimes you're intentional without being intentional. You know, I want to note for listeners who may not be as familiar with your trajectory that you named 2019 and you assume in the position of superintendent in Ector County, July 1, 2019. Now, I'm not, as we talked about before, there are teams and efforts and people. Mm. I don't think it's an accident that some of this turnaround came from your incredible leadership that you brought to the community. Um, What from other school districts have you brought to Ector County? Because you've been in many other school districts, so you've seen great impact 
occur across the United States in different states and different places. Can you give some examples of um, practices or habits with intentionality that you borrowed? I think a lot of education is borrowing. It's about- Yeah, no, absolutely. But I- so I also think a lot of what we do, though, has to be situational. And so certainly we can borrow from others, but the situation, mm-hmm. um, and, and I, I try to be very cautious with this as a leader, you know, you know, one of the worst things, oh, well, in my last district, we did it like this. And so, sure. we need to do it. And so you know, the first thing that I did uh, in, you know, that many uh, great superintendents do is you look, listen and learn for a period of time. And so the first three months was was really keeping my mouth shut, but my eyes and ears wide open. I needed to fully understand what was happening uh, in this organization. And then again, in my own um, wheelhouse, you know, file folders, I have some certainly some things that I've done in, in partnership in other districts and things that I've learned along the way. But the situation here was very different. And so we, while we pulled some of those things in, there's a lot of new that we needed to create um, as well. So I'll, I'll, I'll talk about um one of the things I learned in Charlotte Mecklenburg schools um, was uh, a project management strategy. So we 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 uh, borrowed from the Bank of America a project management strategy, a, a PMO process uh, that allowed us uh, to uh, focus um, organizationally on the the strategic plan um, and and the imp- the effective implementation of various projects in the strategic plan. And so I saw that as a very powerful way to move the work forward. Um, Sometimes we don't do that really well in education. And so in this district, we created um, a a very, a a similarly designed project management oversight process. um, And I tied it to the strategic plan. So we developed a strategic plan and then put this PMO process in place to ensure that all of the projects that are within the strategic plan were implemented with great fidelity. Um, and so we we continue to use that process today, again, four years into the work. But that wasn't something I created. It actually, we started that in Charlotte, thanks to the Bank of America, which is based in Charlotte. They used this process within their own organization. And so, again, that's also how school systems and businesses can sometimes learn from each other. Um, so that's that's one of the pieces I brought Another one would be just strategic plan in general. Um, most school districts have a strategic plan that sits nicely on a shelf and collects a bunch of dust. Um, but I've been, been a part of uh, multiple organizations, you know, in Charlotte, in Fulton County Schools, uh, in in uh, Georgia, um, in in Spring Branch ISD, in, in Houston, uh, that uh, effectively implemented a strategic plan, and I saw uh, the p- profound effect that a, a well created plan. Uh, it, when implemented correctly, can can just move mountains for kids within an organization. So that's another piece um, that I brought to the table. And I guess the last one I would lift up were relationships. You know, uh, to the, to the table here, just a lot of uh, really great, smart folks around the country. Um, in fact, that that was one of the conversations I had before I accepted this position because I knew this was going to be a challenge here. Um, I, I needed a team with me and not just working in the district, but I, I needed a team of thinkers that would support me um, and help me. And so I made some pretty key phone calls before I accepted this position uh, to my network around the country saying, hey, I'm thinking about this. Will you be by my side and whisper in my ear when I need it? Um, and so they've been incredibly great. So people bring in people. Those are three awesome examples. And I'd be remiss if I didn't note that you when I first asked the question, you rightfully pushed back and said, you can't just borrow ideas and implement them. It's it's much like teaching. 
Mm -hmm. Every single good idea for a classroom has to be personalized for the students before you. Absolutely. The context is vital. And so I'm grateful that you lived your own value of not just being a yes person and answering the question here, but really noting the key differentiator, which is not just borrowing ideas from really great districts and implementations, but personalizing them for your community, the context in front of you, the environment that you live in. I love that you did that. And I just wanted to note it because it it really resonates with how you said that's exactly how you want the people around you to lead. And now you're doing it here. So thank I you. I appreciate that. And, and that we, we have that conversation even among our team today um, about, hey, what, what is this district doing that we could copy? No, 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 no. no. It, it, is not, it may be working for them, but we first, but does it make sense for us in this environment? Um, in fact, we, uh, a funny one, we, we, uh, in a, we have 45 schools in our district and uh, we use uh, the opportunity culture model. So an organization in North Carolina, Public Impact, uh, developed a, a really great and, and powerful model for um, redesigning the role of the teacher. And then re it really yields incredible student achievement. Um, and so we have that fully operational in 23 of our 45 schools. And uh, on multiple occasions, my board of trustees has said, well, why don't we put this in every school? And my response is, it's not the right design for every school. It makes sense in some, but not in others. And from a school perspective, you have to select the strategies and tactics that make sense for you, your community, your population. And, and so we, we, we live by that organizationally. Good for one isn't necessarily good for another. Totally. Well, I appreciate that. And I, I also really appreciate the three concrete examples of pieces you learned from. We'll say instead of borrowing, we'll say we learned from and then adapted. I was reading the news last week and I noticed that the Ector County School Board of Trustees approved plans for increasing teacher salaries mm -hmm. in your district. And I know that you have been vocal and in the forefront a lot about a lot of these teacher compensation conversations. Yes. And I'd love to talk a little bit about that. So first of all, congratulations. Thank you. I know you've been really working hard to have that plan pushed through. How has it looked and felt within the district to, to get this pushed through? And how are you feeling about it? Yeah, I feel really good. So I think context is important. So way back in 2019, this district had an 18% teacher vacancy rate. And so on the very first day of school, had 350 teacher vacancies and didn't fill any of them the entire school year. Um, fast forward to today, we have a 1% teacher vacancy rate. Um, and, and that is because of many human capital investments. It started with a complete redesign of our traditional human resource department, again, which was designed to create 350 vacancies um, in 2019. Well, today, you know, it was completely redesigned. And so today it creates 1%, a 1% vacancy rate, uh, which is much better. So a piece of that is compensation. Uh, we've been very invested in compensation uh, within the system. Um, it is one of the multiple ways that we invest in teacher quality in our own organization. Um, and so right now, you know, our board just approved a starting salary of $60,600 for a, a first year teacher in ECISD. And then on the other end of that, our teachers can make over six figures. Uh, we have what we call stackable opportunities for teachers in our organization uh, to earn significant dollars. In fact, a really great story also from last week, I did a um, an interview, uh, an, one of our teachers applied for an assistant principal position 
and uh, she was excited about it. And, um, and so I, I, I was the final interview. The, her principal was in the room. And so we chatted. Um, she left. I, I said, congratulations. You know, you're the new assistant principal of this school. And, and uh, I found out this week that she declined the job. And the reason she declined the job is because she was going to take an $18,000 pay cut to go from teacher to assistant principal. Um, wow. and I just smiled and I said, yes, yes. You know, we, we've, we've, we've talked about, um, we want to pay our great teachers, um, a lot of money, um, so that we would, it would become difficult for them to leave the classroom to pursue administrative opportunities and, oh yes, it's happening. So that's been a lot of fun. That is a wild anecdote. I don't know how many people could tell a story like that. <laughs> oh, I know. I, it, it's, I mean, but money, I, we think about, so, you know, even myself, money was a driver to become an administrator. It wasn't because I wanted to become an administrator. It was, you know, it was make more money. But but in this system, uh, it is not the driver. In fact, you, you have to, you become an administrator because you want to become an administrator. It, you're going to lose money, not not make money. Um, and so it, again, it's it's having the right effect. So that teacher is going to remain in her school, and we're going to expand her scope of influence um, as a teacher. Um, so, but yes, yeah, kind of cool. Wow, that, yeah, that, that is wild. I, I, you can probably tell by my voice if you're listening right now that I have a huge smile on my face. I have worked with folks before that had no no desire to leave the classroom. Their love, their heart, their work was in the classroom, mm. and yet because of the way our system is built around the United States, there are many schools that that aren't able to pay teachers what they really deserve. And yep. so it became a challenge for that individual throughout her career to stay in the classroom because of the pull to making more money to support her family. She had was a caregiver for an ailing parent. I, you know, it's just, that's, yeah. that's really hard. If someone loves the classroom so much, but doesn't yep. stay there because of financial, that's, yep. that's a problem. Yeah. When you interview somebody to become an administrator, when they talk about I'm doing this, you know, one reason I'm doing this is to make more money. And uh, no, I, you, I want you to do it because you want to lead. That, that, that's the reason. Um, certainly money is the finances are important. Again, we see that with our compensation system. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it's you, you should want the job because you want to lead um, that that's pure and simple. So right. So how did your teachers react with the news of the, of the Oh, they're excited. Yeah, no, ab absolutely. Um, our, our, our uh, you know, we finally broke the $60,000 barrier for the first year teacher. Our teachers, we've been really investing heavily for the last four years, uh, not only in teacher compensation, but in other ways um, to really build and edify our teachers and help them be the very best them uh, that, that they could be. And, and so our very supportive, very happy. Of course, we want to continue to do more. Um, in Texas, we are limited by, uh, from a funding perspective, by our state legislature, which this year has not been cooperative uh, with public education. And so these, uh, the raise this year comes at a cost uh, for our school system. In fact, we had to have a deficit budget just to give our folks a raise. But I think that makes a powerful statement about how much our uh, the seven members of our board of trustees believe in compensating our staff members appropriately, even though the state has yet to provide the funds, our trustees were out in front, knowing that the right thing to do is to invest in the employees um, of our district and specifically the teachers and leaders that serve our kids every day. I feel like we should like. 
take a moment of silence. That's a huge deal. Anybody that knows about the, the way that boards work and the funding, that the balancing of budgets, that is tremendously impactful. I did not know that fact when I yeah. did my research. Well, I think it's, it's, we talked about risk. And so we had two opportunities for risk. We can risk the education of our students and not do anything and lose people. Or we can risk, take a risk and, and really on our state government, you know, providing the fundings, but the risk is on behalf of children. And so we invested in our adults because that's going to benefit our kids. It will allow us to recruit, attract, retain great people in the organization. And so it's the right kind of risk to take. Anytime you're taking a risk on behalf of children, you know, you're, you know, and it's healthy, uh, that then take the risk. And so our, our trustees did that. So kudos to them. Kudos to them and to all of you indeed. I mean, the, the, the statistic you threw out at the very top when discussing the decline in vacancies, that's something I know a lot, a little bit about, a little bit about, uh, is really profound. 19% to 1% in, a, in your district. Obviously, some of it due to these financial incentives we're talking about, but others due to the type of investment in retaining talent. Um, can you talk a little bit about Hector County's professional development strategy and how you ensure teachers are continually improving? Yep. So three really key investments in, and I'll stay with teachers uh, for this conversation. And so the compensation side, again, continue to increase compensation, adding stackable opportunities for teachers. Um, and we, we have an incentive program uh, that is actually funded by the state of Texas. It is an opt-in opportunity uh, that rewards in our district up to $20,000 in additional compensation for the most effective teachers. Um, in fact, this year we gave $2.4 million. I shouldn't say gave it away. Teachers earned an additional $2.4 million uh, because um, of their the, the way they grew children academically. And then other uh, ways for our teach opportunity culture, the teachers that are involved in that redesign of the traditional teacher role can earn up to $17,000 in additional compensation. So multiple stackable things. So that's the dollars and cents side. The second investment that we make is pipeline development. Um, and so we, um, we, again, we need to increase the number of people in teacher pipelines. And so we do a lot of work in that area. Um, we have a um, starting at the high school level, our, a career and technical education program uh, that gives uh, our high school students that are in this program, they, they graduate from high school, uh, not only with a high school diploma, but with an associate's degree in education, which gives them only two more years of college to, to complete before they can enter the classroom. Uh, we have our own alternative certification program. We're one of three school districts in Texas that can actually certify and license our own teachers. Uh, so we take people with a bachelor's degree in another area and we run them through our um, educational program. And then on the other end, they have a they become a fully licensed teacher. And then we put them in the classroom, partner with local college universities. We have a um, uh, speech therapy pipelines, diagnostician pipelines, all kinds of teacher pipelines in conjunction uh, with local colleges, universities, and then we provide tuition. Um, we've used our ESSER dollars to invest heavily in, in, in providing all of the tuition for those teachers going through that program. And then we have a paraprofessional program. So identifying uh, paraprofessionals uh, who haven't finished their degree, but they desire, hey, I've always wanted to be a teacher. And so we target them. Uh, we've 
fully fund their college tuition. Um, and then they, in turn, they agree to teach for a minimum of three years in our system. And so it's a win-win, a win for them. They get free college, a win for us because we get a teacher um, out of the deal. And so that so that's the pipeline work. And it's been significant. I guess the last two I'd lift up with pipeline, uh, we have a fully paid teacher residency model. And so a, a college senior uh, spends a full year with us uh, and it is a paid residency. We pay them $45,000 a year. Um, and so they spend a full year with our master teachers, really learning the craft, the art uh, of teaching. And then right now we're uh, building an apprenticeship model for teachers. The federal government just released an opportunity um, teacher. The role of teacher was added to the feds uh, list of funded opportunities. So our teachers will have uh, those aspire individuals aspiring to be a teacher can have their college fully paid for uh, through this apprenticeship model. And so that's something that we're constructing right now and we will uh, implement uh, in the spring. So that's building, so a lot of pipelines in our organization. And then on the development side, so the existing teachers, we've developed a personalized professional learning um, program for teachers. Again, uh, kind of go back to your, your comment earlier about personalized learning. Uh, great for kids, but it's also great for adults too. You know, we all don't need to learn the same thing. A kindergarten Absolutely. teacher sitting next to a high school chemistry teacher is probably not a good mix. Uh, they need to learn different things. And so we do that. Uh, we're very invested in the National Board for Professional Teaching Standards. So we have 130 uh, of our teachers right now uh, that not only do we fully fund their process to become board certified, but we provide a personal coach uh, for each of those individuals. Um, and so their coaches, uh, so each of the uh, 130 individuals have a one-to-one -one coach that helps them through that journey to become board certified. So uh, a lot of, you know, three big buckets, but uh, a lot of development um, opportunities for uh, for our teachers. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot. Like there's so much, I like to talk about defense and offense, there's so much on both the offensive and defensive side you're doing to attract and retain talent. It really blows my mind. And it makes me a little bit sad that we're wrapping up our time together today. But I always ask this one question, which I feel like is really fitting on the heels of you talking about growing teachers and growing them before they become teachers, growing them when they're actually teachers which is what advice would you give a teacher starting their career today? Yeah, so I um, I, I think the, the maybe two things. One would be just know your why. You know, you, you did you enter this profession to serve children? Um, and so on those really difficult days uh, when life is difficult and the kids may not have been your favorite people, just remember uh, that you were created um, to to enter this profession, uh, you were designed to serve kids, and they are the why. Sometimes you, as a teacher, are the only adult in their life uh, that will help them um, attain their dreams. Uh, not all of our kids come from healthy families with supportive parents, um, and sometimes the, you, as the teacher, um, are that person. The second thing I would say is a mentor, um, especially as a first year teacher. Find someone on your campus uh, who is a great teacher, make sure that they are a great person. And then just be a sponge from that person. Uh, uh, be open, uh, allow them to really pour into you and, and give you critical feedback when you need it. Um, but, but find that person to help you on the good days um, and on the not so good days. Um, but always, it always goes back to the why. Why did I enter this profession? I entered to serve children. They need me. And that'll just sustain you uh, throughout your career. Dr. Miri, I feel uh, 
more grateful than I could have imagined that I was able to have you on the podcast today and have you share so much about your own personal trajectory and the incredible work you and your team are doing at Ector County ISD. I know that there are quite a lot of opportunities for people to learn about what Ector County is doing, um, both from going to your website and poking around as I have done and also reading what's going on in the news, but I'm grateful that you're giving them another opportunity and space to hear about some of the work that you're doing. It is an honor to have had you on the podcast today. Well, I thank you. I really appreciate it. And certainly, you know, Team ECISD, full of great people and, and doing incredible work for kids. So thank you for the opportunity to share the work. Of course, grateful to have had you. Thanks for listening to the Learning Can't Wait podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and share this episode. Be the first to know when we have a new episode by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or have a suggestion for an episode, email us at podcast at